your word and your table this morning. Amen. Man, it's good to see everybody today. Megan will be back a little bit later uh, to help me with uh, the Lord's table. Um, This is an important service in the life of our church, Um, not just because we get to see many of you back that haven't been here for a long time, and it is so good to see you back. And I promised there was going to be no pastor tears as people walked up that I hadn't seen for a long time. So, so far, good. No pastor tears yet. But later on during the Lord's table, there might be a pastor tear, okay? You'll have to forgive me ahead of time if that happens. But um, we're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. You can bring up those slides. And, <clears throat> and I think it's important to understand why this is so important. Because really, and it's in the title that I've given it this week, um, you can, here you go, it's called A New Passover. So why do you think the Lord's Table is such an important Christian tradition? I mean, besides the fact that Jesus did command us to do it, outside of that fact, why is it so important? Because I will tell you, from what I've seen in my career as a pastor, I've seen the Lord's table invoke very diverse passion and opinion from people. And most of that passion and opinion, not all, but most, is is really around personal preference. Some have even manufactured religious strict guidelines surrounding the service order of when you're going to do the Lord's table in a service and strict guidelines about preparation and how you prepare for it, rules about even, believe it or not, rules about what type of bread or wine or grape juice should be used for the Lord's table. And as a result, what I've seen happen is these liturgical preferences is what I'll call them, they begin to become obstacles to the true purpose of what Jesus intended this incredible rich tradition to hold. I have seen the Lord's table become so manufactured, it can almost seem like, especially from an outsider looking in, it can almost seem like this really strange pagan ritual. And that's when it begins to lose much of its power and its impact. I would say most Christians participate in the Lord's table because they're told they're supposed to do it. But they haven't really been taught the full story. This happens when we don't understand the motive and the purpose that Jesus had behind it when he created the Lord's table. So today we're going to focus not on all the preferences that people might have. Excuse me. We're going to focus on the two most crucial ingredients for creating a Lord's table. That are the ingredients of remembrance and hope. Remembrance and hope. If you had a recipe for the Lord's table, those are the two main ingredients. I believe understanding the historical and theological concept of these two things, remembrance and hope, it will help us all together reconnect with the Lord's table in a new, lasting, powerful way. So with that in mind, let's look at our passage for this week. It's in Mark chapter 14, verse 22 to 25. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine 
until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so there's a lot here, actually. And what we do at Grace Life, we always look at three applications of Scripture. We always first look at the history. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I want you to understand this is their last night together. They've been together for a long time. And as we learned last week, this Passover night that they're celebrating is a precious, joyful Jewish feast celebrated with normally with family and close friends. And it's a rich source, this Passover meal that they're celebrating together. It's a rich source of memories. In fact, this whole Passover meal was designed for remembrance of a time that God displayed his incredible love for the nation of Israel when he rescued them from Egyptian slavery. <clears throat> now the evening has come. They're all together in this secret room. All the preparations are finished. Remember last week we talked about this secret room they were in. This is actually their third Passover together with Jesus. <clears throat> they have wonderful memories of the previous two, <clears throat> and they anticipate this one will be no less fantastic. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, you're in the inner circle <clears throat> of the most amazing, amazing, knowledgeable, miraculous rabbi ever to walk the face of the earth. There's nobody better to lead a Passover than Jesus, right? But this one is not going to produce the type of memories that they expect. This Passover will be emotional. It'll be dark. It'll be dramatic. It's going to be a tough night for the disciples. I mean, Jesus has already, as we learned last week, <clears throat> he's already predicted his betrayal by one of them, one of the 12. And Jesus is speaking in tones of a man who knows he is about to die. And they don't realize it, but this unusual Passover will leave them in a condition that they will never be the same. Everything that has happened the last three years with Jesus every day has created a very tight-knit group. They've shared everything they have with one another. They've relentlessly followed Jesus everywhere in the region. <clears throat> They've seen him do miracles. They've heard stunning teaching. This is their rabbi. These are their brothers. This is their, if you'll allow me, this is their squad. But in just a few hours... The worst, listen carefully, the worst three days of their lives are about to begin. And the life that they all had before will never be the same. It will be a crushing, traumatic weekend for each of them. They will run in fear. They will be scattered. They will forsake Jesus and they will forsake each other. They have no idea what's coming, what's about to hit them. But their Jesus knows. He knows these are his last moments with them before he is arrested. This dinner is his final teaching, his final preparation for them to endure all the hardship he's been predicting would happen all along. <clears throat> this is his last step in teaching them to change their hope from an earthly kingdom of David to a heavenly one. And now they come to the last course of this Passover dinner. This is the climactic part of the evening. Most of the Seder, which is what we call the, the order, liturgical order for a Passover, it's called the Seder. Most of the Passover Seder is now complete. They're down to the last few elements of the Seder. Other gospels say that Jesus at this point is when he leaned over to Judas and excused him and said, whatever you're going to go do, 
go do it quickly. So Judas is not here for this part, understand. Judas the betrayer is gone. It's now just Jesus and the 11 remaining disciples with perhaps some other faithful people, some women and some men who are serving. But there's anxiety, right? It's been a pretty hectic night. There's high drama. It's a somber mood, and they're all a bit troubled with how this Passover is actually playing out. This is not the holiday season that I expected because Jesus has said some things that are very troubling. And now, at this climactic moment, as they come to the end, all eyes are on him. This is the ultimate teaching moment. They expect tradition. They expect what they've always seen at every Seder they've been at since they've been alive. But Jesus, unbeknownst to them, is about to transform the Seder forever. <clears throat> Everyone expects the traditional closing Seder le- uh, liturgy with the phrase, next year in Jerusalem which means the idea of next year perhaps Messiah will return and set up the kingdom of David and we'll all be in Jerusalem together in the kingdom of David. Israel will once again be the greatest nation in the world next year in Jerusalem. That's what that means. That's how every Seder was ended. And then after that, they would sing some hymns from Psalms, Messianic hymns about this Messiah that they think is supposed to come and defeat Rome and set up the kingdom again. What we are about to witness is the undeniable incredibly special, beautiful bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Church, it is happening right here in this passage where Jesus is masterfully connecting the two. Not ending one for the other. He is completing one with the other. Which comes to the spiritual component of our passage. The spiritual, what about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've called this section the new Passover. First of all, I want you to see Jesus is doing something interesting. He's making a new Seder, a new script, if you will. The Passover Seder hasn't changed for centuries. It was first instituted, in fact, by God himself in Exodus 12, how you would do it, when you would do it, and what would happen. Every Jew knew the Seder by heart. Each step was revered and loved and embraced. And you know what? People even had their favorite parts. Oh, this is my favorite part of the Seder coming up. This is the part I've always loved. When my grandfather would do this or my mom would do that or my dad would do this. Everybody has their favorite places. The whole evening, though, has been quite strange. But Jesus is about to change the Passover forever and create a brand new one. First, he takes this bread, right? And we're going to look at this later. He takes this bread and says it is his body. The word is means it represents his body. This will now represent me. It's a picture of me. And he commands, he breaks the bread, and he says, this is my body, this represents my body. Take the bread and eat it. And I can envision the disciples looking around at each other quite perplexed because this has never been done before. Wait, what is this, Jesus? What, what's he doing? Peter, do you know what he's doing? No, John, I've never seen this before. This isn't the Seder. What is it but the bread? Then the scripture says Jesus takes the wine and saying it is his blood. It represents, the word is, represents his blood. Poured out for many, he says, and he commands them to drink it. What? 
body, blood, bread, wine. Now, you must understand how stunning this would have been for these men. What Jesus just did is audacious. Yes, we know that he's God and we know that he's got authority, but he's taken the authority on himself to change what God gave us in Exodus 12. He's changing the sacred liturgy of the Seder. But you know what else he's doing? He's also changing the reason the Seder or the Passover would be celebrated. You know what Jesus has done here when he says, this bread represents my body and this blood represents my wine? Here's what Jesus is really doing. He is declaring himself now the ultimate Passover lamb. No longer, when you come and celebrate Passover, will you start with sacrificing a lamb. I am the lamb. And this bread and this wine will be the everlasting symbols of the final Passover sacrifice anyone will ever need. It's no longer a look back to the blood painted over the doors, the blood of the lamb that they painted over their doors so that God would pass over their house and not curse them during the exodus from Egypt. It's no longer about that. It's about the blood of the Lamb of God. It's a symbol reminding His people to always, instead of looking back to slavery, being freed from slavery in Egypt, to now no longer look back there anymore. They're going to look back to what's going to happen in a couple days, the cross, the ultimate Lamb of God. Each time... They looked at these symbols. It will be reminding the people to look back to the cross and the Passover would no no longer be any connection, have any connection to Egypt. So that's the new script, the new Seder. And then there's this new tradition he creates. Jesus creates this closing tradition in this new Seder, his new Seder, a reminder of new hope in the future. And this is beautiful. Remember what I told you earlier the normal tradition was to end the Seder with next year in Jerusalem. That's what everybody expects. And then hymns of messianic hope from the Psalms singing together. The old Passover ended with a future hope that would never happen. The restoration of David's kingdom, that's what they wanted. An expression of the anticipated restoration of this kingdom This was the messianic hope that every Jew had, and this is what they meant at the end of the Passover next year in Jerusalem. But Jesus changes all of that with a beautifully somber yet hopeful promise that makes this new Passover far more precious than the old one. He declares that he will not celebrate another Seder in person with his people again until it's all made new in the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word for new is fascinating. It's called kainos. It doesn't mean like new as in brand new, like just manufactured out of the, pack, out of the package. It means made to be new, restored, or improved, unprecedented, novel, unheard of, unlike anything ever. See, it's much more than just something different. 
It's something that is made into something unusual, something that is transformed into something that has never been heard of, something that's never been seen, something unbelievable, something that will blow you away. This is the covenant he's talking about. He says, one day I will drink it and eat it again with you when it is unheard of, when it will blow you away. Now, this is somber, right? Because it's another warning that he's about to die. He says, I'm never going to do this with you again in person. But it is also glorious in that the next one he does with them will be unprecedented. It will be like nothing ever seen in a new kingdom of heaven. It's the promise one day of an unbelievable Seder beyond all expectations. You see the irony there? of the change Jesus makes from next year in Jerusalem to the new kingdom of heaven? He's really messing things up, isn't he? They were waiting for an old Jerusalem to return. But Jesus says, no, one day we're going to celebrate again, but it will be in the new Jerusalem. It's Jesus' last plea for them to shift their hope and affection from an earthly Messiah to an eternal one. Remember, this is the thing they've struggled with all along. For those of you that have been with us in this series on the Gospel of Mark, they have struggled with this time and again. This is the very last lesson. But he doesn't stop there. He makes also a new covenant. Did you know that it was always God's plan to transform Passover into a Messianic Jewish-slash-Christian feast? A Christian feast of remembrance and hope, changing it from a feast only for Jews to one that all nations would have good reason to celebrate. In fact, let me read this passage for you from the book of Jeremiah, Old Testament, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. You see what he's talking about. He's talking about the Passover. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. For I will forgive their sin. And I will remember their sin no more. This new Seder would be the symbol of a new covenant, the Lord's table as a feast to remember it by. Passover will no longer be a memory of liberation from Egyptian slavery. Instead, it's a celebration of the freedom from the slavery to sin. One of the songs the band played this morning had that in there. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. So now let's look at the personal part about this passage. What about us? What do we do and why and how do we do it? I've entitled this Remember and Hope. This was the uh, social media thing I put out there for the sermon preview this week. The Lord's Table combines somber reminders of the cost of our sin with promises of future hope beyond description, making it our most cherished tradition. With all we've learned today, How do you think this should change how we approach celebrating the Lord's table together? It's a good question, right? 
Should we approach this somehow in a different manner? Is it possible that some things that we've been doing with the Lord's table all along were actually distracting from what the two main ingredients are? Do you remember them? Remembrance and hope. Is it possible all of our personal preferences about who's allowed to do the Lord's Supper, what type of crackers you use, where it falls in the service, how often you should do it, Should somebody be wearing a robe? I'm not wearing a robe, by the way, ever. Does all that stuff possibly take away from what the two main ingredients were supposed to clearly be? Remembrance and hope. See, this is what happens. I have seen a lot of arguing at the table. You ever, when your parents, when you're young, don't argue at the table? See, other gospel tell us right before this, they were arguing at the table about who was the first in heaven. Jesus, who's going to be number one? And Jesus responded by washing their feet. That's pretty amazing, right? I have seen in my career in ministry strong opinions about how to conduct the Lord's table. I've seen these opinions vary within denominations. I've seen them vary from church to church, person to person. I've seen debates over grape juice versus wine. I mean, knock down, drag out debates, let me just tell you. I've seen debates over crackers, unleavened crackers versus bread with yeast. I've seen people argue and fight over whether you should preach before or after the Lord's table. I've seen people fight over how often you should do it. Every time, no, once a month, no, once a quarter, no, once a year at Passover, all these things. I've experienced personally church staff in meetings passionately debate it. I've seen people lead churches over how the Lord's table is done. Can you see how arguing over all these personal preferences at the table dilutes the two main ingredients Jesus told us to focus on? Remembrance and hope? Focus on all these religious obsessions distracts us from the remember ingredient of how religion has failed us in the first place. Yet we still want to insert religious preference into it. Somehow making it better? I don't know. Today as your pastor, I'm giving you permission to forget all that stuff for a moment. Today, stop worrying about whether or not we have real bread. Stop worrying about who does the the Passover, the new Passover. Stop worrying about where it is in the service, although the people that want preaching before will like this because we're doing it at the end, right? But I wasn't to please anyone, I promise you. (laughs) Let's forget about all that stuff, shall we? And let's just focus on the two main ingredients. How about that? Remembrance and hope. It's about remembering his suffering, the cost for our sin, so we can direct our hope to the day that we are with him in the new kingdom. Which brings me to this point that I've called looking back and facing forward. That's what the Lord's table is. The old Passover was a celebration to remember liberation from Egyptian slavery, hope for the kingdom of David. We've said that a few times. I just want to make sure you understand. We celebrate our new Passover remembering Jesus on the cross, liberating us from the slavery to sin. The hope Jesus gives us that says the new covenant is here. And when you do this, every time you celebrate this new Seder, this new Passover, when you do this, 
always remember and always hope. That's what Jesus is saying. Every time you do it, always remember and always hope. That's the beauty of it. A tradition reminding us in a miraculous way to keep looking back so that we are inspired by the sacrifice, but also at the same time teaching us to keep facing forward in hope. A masterful, if you think about it, a masterful combination of a somber reminder of the cost of our wickedness with future hope that is far beyond anything this world can offer. A feast with a message to pierce through everything in this ridiculous, stupid, frivolous life and inspire us with gratitude. That's the memory, right? When you look back on the cross, how can you not have gratitude? And also anticipation. That's the hope. A celebration designed to direct our focus on the new kingdom of heaven, even if it only lasts for a few minutes. That's what this is. It's a few moments of gratitude for the cross and hope for the day we get to see him face to face, renewed and restored. Then we add that precious hope Looking to the day, we're adding to that idea that we get to celebrate an unprecedented Seder led by our rabbi Jesus in the new kingdom. How fun is that going to be? When we're all together in the kingdom of heaven, he says, remember that one I told you I wasn't going to do again until it was made new in the kingdom? Today's the day, people. Come on. I just get chills just thinking about that Lord's table. Oh, my goodness. Talk about unprecedented, talk about new, talk about kinos, talk about never seen before. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? Mm. That's what we're doing here today. We are looking back to the cross and then facing forward to New Jerusalem. Not sure about you, but I got to tell you, this last year reminds me why I can't wait to celebrate the new Seder in heaven with our Jesus. How about you? It's been a long time since we've done this together. I mean, had I known, I would have scheduled it like the first Sunday in March, and it would have been just about a year. But I didn't know. So it's been like 15, 16 months. But until then, starting today, as often as we do this together, our only focus, our only focus will be remembrance and hope. There are no rules about who's allowed to administer it. Did you know that? Not to be ordained. That's a lie. It doesn't even have to be at church. It just has to make sure it's done among believers. <laughs> That's the important part. So if you're at home, you have about 13 seconds to go get a cracker and some juice. <laughs> you can join us. Now, Megan's going to come up now, and I've asked to display what I mean. I've asked Megan to help me with the first element of the Lord's table, and um, she's going to do the bread part. But before we do that, I just want to make sure you guys understand, this is why I wanted as many people here today as we could.
Because this is something we must do, remembering and hoping. So from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, 23 to 26, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before she does that, I forgot. Sorry. We have some gluten-free options in the middle here and somewhere else. Where, are, where else are they? If you don't want gluten, right there. Okay? And so you guys can start opening up your things, and we're going to break the bread, and we're going to do this in remembrance of the cross. Good. Well, it's all part. <laughs> Steve, cut it. Dear Jesus, we remember your cross. The precious lamb of the Passover whose body was broken for us. Lord, we remember it. It's a somber reminder of our sinfulness, but it's also a reminder that brings us gratitude. We're so thankful that you became the ultimate Passover lamb. We no longer have to worry about a sacrifice for sin. We now celebrate this new Seder with bread that reminds us. same way he also took the cup after supper saying this is the cup this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Dear Jesus, we recognize without the shed blood of the Passover lamb, our sins are never forgiven. I think of the old hymn, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we do look back to the cross with these two symbols of the bread and the juice. And we remember, we will never forget. Because not only is our sin ever before us, your sacrifice will remain before us. We will always do this 
in remembrance of you. There's one other step in our new Seder. Remember when Jesus said, I'm not going to do this with you again until the new covenant? This is how Paul kind of rephrased it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what will happen? When he comes back for that return and we celebrate the ultimate Lord's table, we don't have to look back anymore because we will be made perfect. We will be made new. We'll be face to face with our awesome Jesus. This is the meaning of the Lord's table. Remembrance and hope. And every time we do it, that's what we're going to do. Jesus, thank you so much for creating this new Seder for us, this new Passover. This reminder to continue to remember the cross but it doesn't stop there. We're so thankful that the cross means nothing if it doesn't bring hope. So now as we leave here today, after a few minutes of looking back, we leave here today looking forward. Maybe next year in New Jerusalem, we have no idea. But if not, we're going to keep remembering and keep hoping because that is what you've commanded us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, if you could put those cups in the garbage can in the back, is that what I'm supposed to do? At the door, there's a garbage can at the door. Don't put them in that little bin. Um, We love you guys. We're so thankful that you were able to be here today. Have a great week. If you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. Go forward now and remember and hope.